This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to the ministry of the Christian Crusaders. For the past nine weeks, we've been studying biblical revelations about Jesus to help us better know Him. Beginning today, we will discover encounters Jesus experiences as He sets His face toward Jerusalem to accomplish God's kingdom mission. Please join us as we discover important applicable truths for our own lives in today's message, Follow Him. The most important thing a person can do with his or her life is to follow Jesus Christ. But what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Jesus has a clear word for us on that subject in our message for today. I hope you'll stay with us and listen in. We begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty and merciful God, we come before you this day to praise you and rejoice in your word, which reveals your greatness and grace. We ask that you help us to listen closely to the words of Jesus today and apply them to our lives. Amen. Our reading for today is taken from Luke chapter 9, verse 51 and verses 57 through 62. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Dear friends, it's a new chapter. I recently retired after serving 38 years in pastoral ministry in two churches, and I have had people I know say this statement to me. They tell me that this moment in my life is the beginning of a new chapter, a new phase of life for me. They are also asking me questions such as, what are you going to do now, Steve? Do you have plans? What do you think God has in store for you? A fellow pastor recently reminded me that there's no such thing as retirement in the kingdom of God, and he's absolutely right about that. I still consider myself on call for the Lord. I don't have a lot of answers at this point yet, but what I do know is this. I'm excited about this new chapter and what God has in store for my wife, Julie, and me. Now, in today's passage, we see Jesus entering a new chapter of his life. He knows what God has planned out for him, that the cross lay ahead where he'll suffer and die for the forgiveness of our sins. For the first eight and a half chapters of Luke's gospel, Jesus has been busy revealing himself as the Son of God, the Messiah of God, sent from above with power and authority to carry out God's plans to rescue a sinful world for himself. 
Jesus has done that revealing through his preaching and his miracles, and God has affirmed it to Peter and James and John at Christ's transfiguration on the mountaintop. Well, in today's reading, we see him setting his face to go to Jerusalem. That's a biblical way of saying he resolved, he was focused, he was determined to go to Jerusalem and accomplish that for which he had come. In Luke's gospel narrative, it marks the beginning of a new chapter, a new phase in our Lord's life. Uh, Luke tells us that the days had drawn near for him to be taken up. Jesus is going to be taken up, we learn. He would be taken up by sinful and rejecting men and nailed to a cross in Jerusalem, wouldn't he? There he would suffer and die as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. He would pay the debt for my sin and your sin that could not be repaid by us. But he would also be taken up from death, raised and then exalted by God as the Lord over all things. By the way, that's our good news to build our lives upon. It's good news that he's about to be taken up, trusting in what he has done for me. You and I share in his victory over sin and death and the devil. Thank God he set his face to go to Jerusalem. We're rescued. So, this is a context from which we will be working for the next few weeks of Lent. In this series, I'm entitling Encounters. Jesus is resolutely on his way to Jerusalem to be taken up. He's doing it to rescue us from our sin and the consequences of sin. And on his way, Jesus and his disciples will have encounters with various types of people to whom he will speak important truths about important things in life. These conversations hold valuable insights for you and me to discover and then apply to our own lives. Today, we see that he first encounters three people who say they desire to follow him. For some reason, they were moved by Jesus. They admired him. Maybe they had observed his miracles. They had seen him change lives of those around him for the better. They'd listened to his good news about the kingdom of God being at hand. So they were inspired, moved to say, I want to follow you, Jesus. This scene is repeated often, even in today's world. A person gets moved emotionally or intellectually or spiritually in some way or another and says, I want and need to be with Jesus. Maybe it's at a worship service where Jesus is portrayed as that Savior that they need. And she says to herself, I need someone like that in my life. I need a Savior. I want Jesus. Or perhaps it's someone who has observed how Christianity has so enriched a, a friend's life. And in an hour of need, they tell that friend, I think I need what you have. Maybe it's a large event moved by a speaker. You've come forward to the altar call. Perhaps a light's gone on for you after reading or studying about Jesus on your own. Any number of circumstances can move people towards him. It appears that these three men don't quite understand Jesus. They just are moved by him, and what it, they don't understand either what it means to be his disciple, because he has to lay it out for them. 
The key word in these encounters is the word follow. It's used three times here. They promised to follow. They like Jesus. They've observed the positive possibilities for their own lives if they get involved with him. I will follow you wherever you may go. The first man says, he sees Jesus as an up-and-comer, perhaps, and he wants to get in on the bottom floor and rise with Jesus into power and glory. There are some misguided expectations here. He doesn't know what he's really asking for or what's involved. I will follow you, the second one said, but first let me go and bury my father. The father probably wasn't dead yet. The man was procrastinating. Someday... I'll do this, but I have other obligations to take care of first. Family first. The third one said, I will follow you, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. He he wants to uh, have both worlds. He's got one hand on the plow and he's looking back. He's saying his, but first, Jesus, and that's the issue. Jesus continues to run into that even to today as well. Jesus, I'll go to church when I can. I'll throw a few dollars in the plate. But I hope you understand that I have other important things that I have to tend to in my life. There tends to be a certain superficiality today in our thinking about membership in God's kingdom. It's oftentimes sold to us in the church as easy and non-demanding. Say yes to Jesus and this is what he'll do for you. There's little talk of service and commitment and crosses, as Jesus talked about. People join churches like consumers asking, what can you do for me? Instead of asking, what can I do for this church as it works to reach people for Jesus? Jesus responds to these thoughts with clear and hard words, uncompromising words to this kind of mindset. To the first, he says, follow me, but you might be headed for homelessness, uncertainty, comfortlessness. Look at me. I don't have anywhere to lay my head. Jesus doesn't promise a Cadillac. Jesus promises a cross. To the second, Jesus says, bury your father. Let the dead bury their own dead. Come with me now, and let's go proclaim the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness do it now. To follow me means I'm the center priority in your life, more important than anything else, even family. To the third man who wanted to go back and say goodbye, Jesus responds, a farmer knows better than looking backwards when trying to plow a field. It'll be crooked. So anyone who looks back is not fit for kingdom work, for being my disciple. So we learn from these three encounters that Jesus prefers followers, not fans. Those that are just enthusiastic admirers. He's looking for fully devoted followers, wholeheartedly committed to serving him, obeying him, doing life his way and following his lead. So here's what we learn about following him and this whole thing of discipleship. Number one, following Jesus is not always safe and certain and comfortable and convenient. That is not popular thinking these days, I know. Pastor and Christian writer Calvin Miller commented on this attitude in a Christianity Today magazine. 
as he talks about Christaholics versus disciples. He says, many Christians are only Christaholics and not disciples at all. Disciples are cross-bearers. They seek Christ. Christaholics seek happiness. Disciples dare to dis- discipline themselves, and the demands they place on themselves leave them enjoying happiness of their growth. Christaholics are escapists looking for a short cut to nirvana. Like drug addicts, they're trying to bomb out of their depressing world. There is no automatic joy. Christ is not a happiness capsule. He is the way to the Father. But the way to the Father is not a carnival ride in which we sit and do nothing while we are whisked through various spiritual sensations. Number two, following Christ means leaving the former life behind. I'm reminded of something that Christian martyr and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer described in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He wrote of what he called that great divide. The first step, he writes, which follows Christ's call, cuts the disciple off from his previous existence. The call to follow at once produces a new situation. To stay in the old situation makes discipleship impossible. You can't stay where you are. It's like the song that we learned in Bible camp. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. So we need to ask ourselves, what is it that is competing for your allegiance to Christ? You may have both hands on the plow, but what is it that you keep looking back at? Following Jesus, thirdly, is not a part-time commitment, but a full-time commitment, isn't it? He isn't just one more priority among many along the way, but the priority, central. He calls the shots. He's your commander, not your colleague. And finally, following Jesus is a lifetime commitment. His call to these three had no expiration date on it. It's not a short-term, but a long-term thing. Not a sprint, but a marathon. One person wrote, Christ does not issue his call for a season, but for a lifetime. Service to the kingdom begins at the moment we receive Christ and continues until the Father calls us home. What does this look like? Well, in detail, it's different for each person. Some are called to serve where they grow up. Others are called to journey thousands of miles away. Some live in hardship and lose their life for the faith, like Peter, who died for the faith, while others live a long life, like John, who apparently died of old age. What is the same, though, for all is the call that discipleship has priority over everything else. We can balk at these hard words of Jesus, can't we? We say, wait a minute, salvation is free, I thought. Am I not right? Yes, Scripture tells us repeatedly that salvation is free in Christ. A person is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But today we learn that, yes, salvation is free, but there's a cost to discipleship. It might cost you everything, and Christ is calling us to discipleship, to follow him and be obedient, devoted disciples. It's interesting to note, What is missing in these encounters? Did you notice that? You know, Luke doesn't tell us what these three individuals did in response to Jesus' words. Did, Did they stay with Jesus? 
Did they become his followers? Were they part of that 70 that he'll send out in Luke chapter 10? But I guess that's not important for us to know. But what is important is your response to these words of Jesus. How have you responded to Christ's call to follow him as his disciple? Have you turned and entrusted your life to his leadership? Are you walking in his footsteps, committed to doing life his way, living according to his word? You know, we make so many commitments in the different areas of our lives, don't we? And while they seem important, I tell you they pale in comparison to this all-important commitment to follow Jesus as his disciple and to do life ways, his way, and, and seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness in your life. An author that I so enjoy is Pastor Tim Keller. And he writes, I've heard people say I'm checking out Christianity, but I also understand Christians can't do this. And the Bible says you're supposed to do that. You're supposed to love the poor or you're supposed to give up sex outside of marriage. I just can't accept that. So people want to come to Christ with a list of conditions. But the real question is this. Is there a God who is the source of all beauty and glory and life? And if knowing Christ will fill your life with his goodness and power and joy so that you would live with him in endless ages with his life increasing in you every day, if that's true, you wouldn't say things like, you mean I have to give up, like sex or something else. Let's say you have a friend who's dying of some terrible disease. So you take him to the doctor and the doctor says, I have a remedy for you. If you just follow my advice, you'll be healed and you'll live a long and fruitful life. But there's only one problem. While you're taking my remedy, you can't eat chocolate. Now, what if your friend turned to you and said, forget it. No chocolate. What's the use of living? I'll follow the doctor's remedy, but I will also keep eating chocolate. Listen. If Christ is really God, then all the conditions are gone. To know Jesus Christ is to say, Lord, anywhere your will touches my life, anywhere your word speaks, I will say, Lord, I will obey. There are no conditions anymore. If he's really God, as we've said, he can't just be a supplement. We have to come to him and say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to let you start a complete reordering of my life. Now, someone might ask, is it worth it? And my response is, the cost is great, but it is never a burden. I've never heard anyone who is a committed follower of Christ say, Christ has become a burden to me. And listen to the testimony of this modern-day disciple named William. He writes, I find that discipleship means first truly living. It doesn't mean a joy ride to heaven. It doesn't mean that there are no trials and no burdens, but it does mean peace in your soul and joy in your heart and a sense, a supreme sense of the smile of the Lord upon you. It is living. Long ago, the apostle Paul said the same thing, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Finally, if you think the price seems high, I encourage you to consider the price Jesus paid to make you his own. 
Oh, how he loves you and me. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, may these words of Jesus take root in our lives today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to grow into faithful, obedient followers of Jesus Christ so that we might have life and bring you honor and glory. Amen. Now, as you go on your way, may Christ go with you. May he go before you to show you the way, behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, above you to watch over, and within you to give you his peace. Amen. You have been worshiping with the ministry of the Christian Crusaders. We pray today's message has encouraged you to be a committed follower of Christ, remembering the price Jesus paid to make you his own. Christian Crusaders is a nonprofit ministry supported by the gifts from our listeners. Our weekly worship service is broadcast each week over 36 radio stations across the United States, as well as on shortwave across North America and Europe. Satellite, Roku, and Umani Radio in Catel, Kenya. You can also find us daily on the internet at christiancrusaders.org and on Facebook. If today's message has been of spiritual comfort to you, we respectfully ask you to remember this ministry with your gifts and prayers. Many people choose to give a memorial or honorarium gift for a loved one. All contributions to this ministry are tax-deductible. Address your gifts to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. Our toll-free telephone number is 1-888-693-2484. In the Waterloo, Cedar Falls, Iowa area, dial 277-0924. Or visit us online anytime on the internet at christiancrusaders.org. We are happy you chose to worship with us this morning, and we pray you will join us again next Sunday on this station. Conducting today's service was the Reverend Steve Kramer speaker on Christian Crusaders, now in its 83rd year of continuous Sunday worship broadcasting.